City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadu. Tonight, I'm here with... Ajua Tenkrama Domina. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Black Stars coach Chris Hilton faced with a possible sack less than 10 months on the job. What next for the Ghana Black Stars? That's a question we have on Eyewitness News tonight. Also coming up, government allocates 4 million cities to pay the debts of the kidney center at the Kolebu Teaching Hospital to enable it reopen for patients. And later on Eyewitness News, the judge here in the case of uh, a seen North Member of Parliament, James Jachi, is in doubts his claims of ill health and continues to hear the case even though he was absent from the courtroom. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on eyewitness news there's also business news coming up later and the headline coco board to meet finance committee of parliament tomorrow on 2023 coco syndicated loan that's in 15 minutes from the city business desk eyewitness news is live across the country on a number of affiliate stations including in the western region adrinpa 100.7 fm in takwa beach 105.5 fm in takradi we are also on Sky Power 93.5 FM in Takradi. In the Bono region, we are on Greener 99.5 FM in Suyani. In the Ashanti region, we are on um, Focus 94.3 FM in Kumasi and Orange 107.9 FM also in Kumasi. Now, if you go to the Northern region, we are on Radio Bimbila 91.9 FM. And uh, in Upper East region, we are live on 88.7 FM, that's in Garu. In Upper West Region, we are on Tungsung 97.3 FM in Wa and Jirapa 96.1 FM in Jirapa. The show is live on uh, citynewsroom.com, that's our website. We are also on CityTube, that's YouTube. We are on Facebook and we are interactive. Join us with WhatsApp messages 0549 nine eight six nine nine six you can send tweets using the hashtag city newsroom tweet at umaru sanda or at city nine seven three let's talk about the thing that unites Ghanaians more than any other thing it has to do with soccer ghana football is a big deal the country is known as a lover of football it breaks hearts and it unites people tonight the man who's supposed to lead Ghana's national team, the Black Stars, is in hot waters. The report is that he may be showing the door tomorrow. And this is because the recent performance of the Black Stars has been abysmal at best. He was appointed somewhere in February. The name is Chris Hilton. He took over from the man who took us to the World Cup to embarrass us. What's happening with Ghana sports and for that matter, football? Gabby Offair is with the City Sports Desk, and uh, he's joined me in studio. Gabby, you're welcome. Thank you, Mario. What's happening? Um, okay. Chris Hilton took this job 
less than a year ago, less than 10 months ago. And then, what? okay, he's supposed to, there's supposed to be a renewal tomorrow of his contract. Is that why there's a meeting happening tomorrow? Or what's the problem? I, I don't think the meeting is about a renewal of a contract. Um, so the story broke last night that um, the GF Executive Council members were going to meet to take a, a decision regards to Hilton's future. So this is on the back of um, Hilton's performance with the Black Stars in the last few games. He's played seven games. He's won three, he's drawn two, and he's lost two. Repeat that statistics. He's played seven games. Mm -hmm. He's won three, mm -hmm. he's drawn two, and he's lost two. Oh, so on the average, he has yeah. done well, huh? So his win ratio, actually, if you check, is 48.23%. That's less than half. Yes. That's a failure. F. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think... So who, who who and who did we play since... And these have all been friendly matches? No, two friendly matches. Which one? Three friendly matches, actually. So Against who? The three, we won against Liberia here in Accra. Liberia, at the Accra Sports Stadium. That had to Liberia, yeah. get people talking about the pitch. Mm -hmm. That's a different conversation to get into. Mm -hmm. And then the two big friendlies, I call it, because it was arguably his biggest test he's faced, if you look at the seven games he's played. Um, so against Mexico and the United States of America. And these two countries are hosting the World Cup in 2026. Mm -hmm. So he lost, he lost against them. Against Mexico? Yes, in the United Pro proper States. Proper losing or... Yeah, proper or he, losing, he, you want to call it. Because, I mean, he was... The Black Stars were all over the place. Nothing happening on the No scene. shape, nothing. You, you, can, you struggle to see an identity within the team. And that's... It has cut across all the seven games he's played. Even in games where we've won. Against US, how was that one to the... Against US, that's where they considered four goals. I remember when we went to the World Cup and scored US. It yes, was a so big deal for us in 2006. Exactly. We beat them again in 2010. And mm -hmm. in 2014, they beat us. And if you look at those three stats, I mean, those three stats against the USA, it's always been a 2-1 goal sc uh, scoreline. So, so we've always been beating them. Exactly. So, so the it, first time heading into that game, no, it was the second time actually. Heading okay. into that game, the Black Stars had won 2 and the US had won 1. Okay. So it means that it was, sec it was a second win mm -hmm. for the US national team. Okay, yes. and that one to four nil. Yes, so we lost by four goals to zero. And in Mexico. the Me Mexico one was what? The Mexico one we lost by two goals to zero, I believe. Yes. So just the American campaign there was nothing. Crap. It wasn't good. And okay, so these are the friendlies. Exactly. So three. So friendlies. Liberia, Mexico, USA. Yes. Which other countries did we play? So we played. We played Angola back to back. That's for what qualification. Yes, the Afcon uh, qualification, and then we played Central Africa. Did we? Republic. Did we win both? So we we legs. won Angola. We beat Angola here in, in Kumase mm -hmm. at the Barara Sports Stadium. And mm -hmm. then we went to um, Central African Republic and then we played Angola there. Yeah, so it ended in a one or draw. Okay. And then Central African Republic came here. We played against them. That was the last game that secured qualification to the AFCON next year in Cote d'Ivoire. Mm -hmm. And one by two goes to one. So continentally, we've done well. Yes. Except so, against the Liberia one. Exactly. So you look at the games he's won. People have, have always talked about the fact that Hilton has not faced a top opposition yet, especially in Africa. So a top op opposition in the sense that you look at the teams ranked from first to ten. Mm, maybe it's Senegal or Cote he's not faced. No, he's not faced any of those oppositions. He's played countries who are ranked 132nd, 127th on the FIFA and um, the, what, the world, world rankings. And I mean, if you look at the way that football is evolving in, on the African continent. The last time we went to the AFCON, we got kicked out by a country ranked 132nd at the time. That's Comoros. Yeah. 
I remember that. And the island people didn't know where it exactly. was. Exactly. Mm. And per the report that emerged yesterday, that some people within the ESCO team were scared that a repeat of that is going to happen. Because Comoros is in our group for the 2026 World Cup qualifiers. There's Madagascar there. We face the Central African Republic in, in that group also. There's Mali. There's Chad. And these are opponents that when the Black Stars do come up, if you check the records actually, the Black Stars do have terrible records against these teams. Especially Mali. I remember the last time we played them, we got whipped by three goals to zero and the former Kosiki Akono. So those are some of the things that I think I think that triggered the some people within the ESCO premises too. To want to show Hilton the exit. Did, did we give him a term of reference? The the man who ran away from the World Cup didn't even come home. No, what's his name? Who Otuado? Uh, Otuado. <laughs> I mean, you know, we sent him to just go and help us with the World Cup, right? I mean, did, did, did we give a term of reference to to Chris Hilton? Did we say that we want you to just qualify us to African Cup or qualify us to World Cup? Yeah, it was. Or take it was, us it and, was, and maintain. What was the arrangement? Do we have those arrangements announced publicly? Yes, it was stated by. The spokesperson of the Ghana Football Association, his name is Henry Asantichum. Um, we're getting to we're getting him to speak on the issue, but he's he refused to do that. Um, the contract, his contract, his Hilton's contract will run out in February 2024. Okay. And that's after the AFCON probably has ended because the AFCON is kicking off somewhere, I think 16, 18 January to February. So he was supposed to lead us there. Yes. So and the but contract, we've not gotten to Afcon. So why are we? No, the contract that was given to or dished out to Hilton was a, a performance-based contract. Okay. So depending on what he goes to do at Afcon, the GFA will stand on that to trigger whatever they want to do. But he has not even gone to Afcon so, yet. Yes, that, that's what I'm saying. That they think that based on his last games he's played, things are looking very bleak. There's you you, you struggle to see where this team is heading to. And if, I mean, if you sound if you speak to an ordinary Ghanaian outside there. They tell you that, look, the football is not looking good. Mm -hmm. There's no direction. Hilton has talked about the fact that when you're managing a national team, it's different from managing a club side. And a national team, you don't get a chance to, the opportunity to work with players like the way managers who handle clubs do get that lengthy period mm -hmm. so that you can transfer your blueprints to the team. But I think that seven games, we should see glimpses of what he wants to do with the team. But clearly, we, we've we not. can't see that. Yes. Okay. I'll come back and ask you whether he's a problem or the pitch is a problem, and I mean <laughs> the players. Let's speak to someone who has been, who has played for the Blacksters before, right? Talk to me about Samuel Lincoln before I introduce him. I mean, Samuel Lincoln has been to two World Cups, I believe. Okay. Um, he's a uh, he's he's played his part in the national team, a very good right back during his playing days. So I, I think in recent times, the uh, most Okay, the the last time we properly celebrated was when Didi Ayu and his people went to Egypt, Egypt to win the World Cup in 2009. Yes. Now, um, Samolinkum was part of that squad. He was squad. part of that squad. Ajiman Bedu, Samolinkum. Uh -huh. And he was also at the World Cup in Germany in 2010. Exactly, yes. Mr. Should I say Mr. Inkum? No, you're a footballer. Let me just say, Sami, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. We are discussing a national team, first of all, the, the, the group you used to belong to and the head coach. There seems to be, one, a problem with the performance of the Black Stars generally. And I'm thinking that this transcends coaches. Is our problem the coach or the team? Because that looks like the debate now. I think, uh, first of all, I have to let you, I have to say that you guys are doing a great job. Um, um, and uh, to discuss whatever is happening in terms of football to, to Ghanaians as well for them to understand our game. To be very honest, we are putting a lot of pressure on this coach, which I understand. Ghana 
we are football nation, okay? But we shouldn't forget that the court took the job just recently. I don't think it's even a year now. It was in February, nine months. So, almost a year, Zanotte. Yeah, less than 10 months, so I don't know. Okay. So, so he need time to, to, to build a team. We have a young team. And uh, I don't think that he signed a contract for, for, for him to the game. The kind of friendly game that we are playing. Because if you want to build a good team, and if you don't a high-profile friendly game, you will never see the mistakes you have in the team. In my opinion, I'm saying I'm not that uh, he, he's he's the best, or uh, but I think he will be the best because he's now building the team. So let's put in this anger that okay, he's building a team, national team. You cannot get a place in every time. The, the players are playing in their various clubs. You understand? So he need time to assess each and every player. You understand? So we have to, we have to have time for him. We have to have time for him, to be very honest with you. So it's, it is too early to be showing him the door, but the statistics don't look good for him. I mean, if we brought you to come and lift our morale after what happened at the World Cup and your, your, your winning percentage is at 48, that doesn't look good. Is it 48 or 42? 42%. 42%. That doesn't look good. So the back stops with him, doesn't it? No, I think we still have time. We still, we still, we still have to uh, have patience for him. That is why I put it this way. Listen, we we Ghanaians sometimes, you know, we do a lot of mistakes. Everybody can be mistakes. Everybody can do mistakes. But at the end of the mistakes, we have to learn from it. Okay, what I'm saying is that we are going to a tournament. We have to have a team. Let's say he can play against. Let me use this example. Kotoko has a folk, okay? Beating Kotoko 10-0. So everybody will think that, okay, we have a team. But you see the kind of friendly games that he's playing. He played against USA. We all saw it. We see that there's a problem in the team. Not only the coach, the players also have to change their mindset. The moment they will call you to come and wear the national colors, you're supposed to know it's not only you again. You are defending Ghana national team or you are defending the motherland. Some of the players, okay, they, 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 players, can let, uh, players can let you start coach just like that because of what? Maybe he's not playing. Maybe this and this are not talking. Maybe here and here, you understand? That's why for me, my concern is outside the pitch. These players are supposed to know they have to bring the team spirit. Building the team spirit, it means you, the players, have to talk to each other. Don't think that, okay, it's national team, okay, I'm lucky, they call me to say, no. But how, long, how, but how long do you need, how much time, when you say give him time, how much time do you need to build a national team that would look serious on the pitch? Because from the commentary, our performance in the United States of America was not worth the air ticket we bought them. And he is the one who runs the, the, the team. So if things didn't look good, he should take the blame. And if we are sending him home, there's a reason for sending him home. My brother, you are right. Because he's the leader. He's the one in front of the team. But that's why I'm also saying that 
We shouldn't put too much pressure on the coach only. We have good players. We have quality players and when they are playing their club side. Me and you can witness what they can do. So why national team, they don't want to bring the passion, the same passion they are using it to play in their, in their various clubs. You understand? So this is anger that we have to also look at. We are putting a, a lot of heavy load on the coach. Okay, we can start the coach today. And what next? That will solve the problem? I don't think so. But this is the time, this such 20 games that they are playing in, for me, I'm so happy because now we have a lot of job to do before the tournament starts. So it depends on me and you and Ghanaians to also support the team as well, encourage the team. Because if everybody is saying a lot of negative stuff about the team, the coach, at the end of the day, who is going to deliver? The players wouldn't get scared when they're on the pitch because they know when they do mistakes, we are going to talk about that. We are going to bash them. So I think that this is the moment that uh, we, everybody have to encourage the team, support the team, say good stuff towards the team. And I believe that if we keep on saying that, we are going to achieve whatever means. Now, when we talk about the problem with the playing body, um, how can we solve that? We cannot go and import players for our national team. We can only raise them locally or at best go and bring them from abroad if they are from Ghana. Is it the case that we don't produce footballers again? I mean, quality footballers. Is that the reason? I, I don't think so. We have, we, have the, we have the quality. We have it. But that's what I'm saying. That I will, me, myself, I will attack the playing body. You know why? Because how many matches they have played so far? How many matches? And in the same play, we players, we like this. If the coach if the coach doesn't give you a chance, you go somewhere and talk about it. They have given you a chance also. What next again? So I think that we also have to go hard on the players also for them to understand that, listen, you are playing Ghana national team. A team that, a country that we love the game. We want you guys to deliver every single second that they will give you the opportunity. So I think this is something that we have to also focus on the players as well. Yes, I'm not saying that the coach is doing well. Everybody knows. He himself can assess himself that, okay, how many matches I've played so far, how many wins, how many lose, how many draws, you understand, like what you are saying. But putting pressure on him is also good, very good. At the same time, we have to put the same pressure on the players for them to know that, hey, listen, at the, at the point in time, our time, I remember a Sports Stadium or whatever, they were using, you know, this pure water and success and butter, you know. Then we saw that, yes, Ghanaians have passion for the game. You understand? I'm not saying they should do that this time because now football have developed in such a way that they, we all have to, uh, how to say, we all have to um, um, have patience and encourage the team. But I'm not saying that we don't have to put pressure on the coach. Yes, we have to put. We have to let him know what is at stake. At the same time, we have to put the pressure on the players as well. What yeah, about what about the GFA? People think we should put the pressure on the GFA rather, and that one, the GFA is clueless. Two, the GFA interferes in the job of the coach. What's your view of what the FA's role should be in this problem that we are discussing? Uh, yes, you know when when the game is not going well, it's not only about the coach. You have to everybody who is involved. You understand what I mean? GFA, the reason why I will not put GFA too much because at the end of the day, GFA have given them the coach 
much respect, much room, everything that you have to behave as a head coach or technical team. But I don't think if somebody is interfering there, then they have to be very careful because now the game is going to the stand that everybody is getting, you understand, nobody have even the passion again. And this is not the Ghana national team that everybody would want to see. So I'm saying that everybody has to play his part very good. I love, I keep on saying this, football is all about preparation. Uh, tournament, you know. I think on Sunday or something like that, we have also one uh, World Cup qualifying game to play. This is the time everybody who loves the game have to play a big impact. Okay? Because what will happen, we have to achieve it. We have to deliver. So that is why I'm saying that you guys have good platform to preach to preach to people that do understand the game. Give them the points, bash them, but in, in, in a way that nobody wants to insult no one, in a professional way that they will understand that maybe I have to do this, maybe I don't have to do that. That is what everybody is looking for. I don't think that you are sitting down to talk just like that because you want, uh, what do you call it, better something for the team. That is why you are there talking about blasters mm. at, 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 at this moment. Very well. You know? Thank you. Um, there's a meeting tomorrow. We do not know whether... Um, Chris Hutin will be sacked or not, but there's a there's rumor around that he may be replaced with his deputy, George Boatin. I don't know what you know of George Boatin. What do you make of that, if that actually should happen? Is that a good move? What is his own coaching prowess? Do you know anything about him? It will be, it will be surprised if something like that happens. But, you know, coaches, have been, coaches can be hired. They can be fired. You understand? That is something that everybody understands. You understand what I mean? But uh, I know George Watson, he has uh, he has, he has experience in the game. He has played in the highest level in terms of football. You understand what I mean? And uh, they are all together. They are working together. But if something like that will happen, I don't know. But I think that we just have to have time for the coach, go to this African Cup, and maybe if you say there's a problem, then maybe they can take it from there. But at the moment, I think it will, it will be so it will be too uh, what do you call, early to fire him. Thank you so much for speaking to us, sir. Thank you so much, my brother. Keep doing the good job. We will try. You two keep doing what you're doing. What are you doing, by the way, now? Are, are you in retirement? Yeah. Are you doing something in football? I have my own, uh, I think last week I, I launched my own football management agency, which is Kung Football Management Agency. We are also trying to do like the, the same topic we are talking about. So we want to develop the players, change their mindset, let them know that, hey, it's not about only football is uh, uh, USD supposed to play. I launched this agency because I was at, the, at the point in time I was banned from FIFA because of contract. So we also want them to understand that, hey, you have to take your education very serious so that you can read and understand the contract that you are signing. That is why I'm going to football management agency now. Great. I'll come around. I've been hoping to become a footballer. Maybe this is my chance. I'll come around so you can... <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome, my brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Samuel Inku. Uh, he played for the Black Stars. Uh, was part of the team that won for us the under-20 in 2009 in Egypt and was also part of the, the, the national team that played for us 
in South Africa, inadvertently said Germany in 2010 for the World Cup there. I still have Gabi in the studio. Gabi, I'm looking at your colleague, uh, Bernard Ose, uh, Ose Ebo. Yeah. He wrote on City Sports Online and he says, Bernard Ose writes, sack not Chris Hilton. He's not the problem. Do you agree with him? I agree totally. So you agree that yes. Chris is I not the problem? I think Hilton has to take part of the blame. Okay. But I don't think it's right to pin it all on him. I think people within the FA premises, you look at the way things have been handled. Even before Hilton took over, look, there was so much talk about player influence from certain people in the GFA premises. And you see, these things do not create that harmony coach, a coach would want to create a winning team for whatever I would want to do in, in, in tournament. You get it. There's always been that clamor from Ghanaians that allow coaches to do their job. And that when they fail, you can then hold them to a very good accountability to give you whatever you... But if you, you are pinning certain things on them, you're not giving them that freedom to work. So I'm, I'm saying that people within the FA premises must look within. and not so just they, sh they should sack themselves. I mean, if there's, there, like there's supposed to be a bad blood between Chris Hilton and the FA, we are told. How 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 serious is that thing? It's, I mean, so is it a rumor or, or has some? It's, it's been alleged that um, Jeffrey President, that's Keto Kroko, was not a fan of him, of Hilton. Okay. He would have watched Otuado, would have carried on Continue. for yes, after what happened in Qatar. Uh, he didn't watch the World Cup. He watched the World Cup, he was in Qatar. He saw it. Yes, he saw the performance. And he wanted Otado to continue. So for continuity's sake, that's their way. Uh, they like, think that. Like people who stone him with tomatoes at the airport. <laughs> if the time, <laughs> if he's given the time, he would be able to to take this team somewhere. And I think that probably they were looking at his attachments with Borussia Dortmund in the German league because he's one of um, a Ghanaian uh, coaches who are doing big things outside okay. Ghana here. So they were looking for a long-term plan. But look, if you look at, or you, you want to pick Otuado, I think Otuado wasn't really ready for the Black Stars job. He had his mind set on the Borussia Dortmund job. He was here on secondment. Exactly. So, and I mean, you, you saw the stories about taking this job as a part-time job. And that would help. The national team, you need to... You see, I think it's a long-term project. It takes time for coaches to do whatever they want to do. So, but you should see glimpses of what a coach would want to do within a team. You get it. So, aside George Boateng, who else has been tipped to replace... <sighs> We've not heard any names so far. Okay. Yes, I think so far. I think the reason why the FA would want to hand the job to George Barton in the interim is that we've got, what, just eight days for the World Cup qualifiers against Madagascar and Comoros. Okay. And then we've got, what, less than two months for the AFCON in Cote d'Ivoire next year. So we need a proper caretaker. Exactly. To do An immediate a proper transition. But somebody will raise the argument that, look, even from Hilton to George Barton, Hilton was the technical advisor mm -hmm. to Otuado. Mm -hmm. They went to the World Cup in Qatar. What did the Black Stars do? They exited. Mm -hmm. He took over as head coach. I was thinking that, okay, you've got it, you've gotten a chance to, to do a proper scan from where you stood mm -hmm. as a technical advisor. You've seen the flaws in the team. You've seen the lapses in the team. What can you do to repair it? You've seen it. So you've taken note of all these things. Now the job has been given to you as head coach. What would you do? Correct the mistakes. If you if you said you were the technical advisor and you were advising, what kind of advice were you giving to Otuado? You get it. So when you take the job, we are expecting to see the corrections you've noted. But clearly, sometimes if you ask me, my personal opinion, I think the Black Stars have actually retrogressed. We've not seen an improvement from what Hutin has done. No disrespect to what he's done. Mm. But look, if you go to Kumasi and you, you, you watch 
the people who throng to the stadium to support the black stars they are very demanding and you can understand why people would want to see the team perform even when we won against central african republic when we beat angola if you go out there and you talk to people they are not happy with the win so it's not an exciting win yes they, they didn't think we deserved we the deserved win. it and i mean speaking of not deserving the win central african republic head coach raul savoy made a very left a very what message for us a very bad message a damning assessment on the team that he wishes us that we experience what happened at the last afcon at the upcoming afcon you get it so i mean gabby one one thing before you go um you can be motivated because you're a Ghanaian, you're a patriot, yeah, you want to see us win a trophy. But as a coach, you also will be motivated by the amount that hits your bank account. How is the payment of our coaches like? <laughs> Do they pay them well? Do they pay them regularly? Do they Are they indebted? What, what's happening? So I'll start with um, Siki Akono. Let me start with Milovan Rayovac. When he was sacked... Okay, so I'll start with Siki Akono. Up to now, he's been old. We've not paid him. We've paid parts. And that's according to the sports minister, Mustafa Yusuf. Siki Akona, I think, is still being owed $200,000. Milovan Rayovac is still being owed. So if if we part ways with Chris um, Uten, it means that we are still on that tangent, which is not looking good for whatever we want to do with the Black Stars. And speaking of payment, you look at the expatriate coaches that have come in. If you take Siki Akona out, or if you want to, to juxtapose his salary with uh, the expatriates, mm-hmm. we've handed big payments to expatriates than local players than local coaches sorry okay the reason being is probably you're looking at the pedigree or whoever is coming in and if you want to look at the pedigree when we brought in uh milovan Ryback for a second stint he was inactive for what i think two years mm. but we still managed to give him a very attractive salary because he did well in the past exactly past so glory. and i always say that i think that his second come was if you ask me it was based on nostalgia mm. what he's done in the past okay so siki akono was a one group sorry milovan rivak was a one group project yeah he took us to the quarterfinals of the world cup yeah. he took us to the and finals he, he wore one lacoste throughout <laughs> it's also part of it it's part of it if people remember down okay so uh, I, I mean I, one I, color of lacoste not necessarily the same that's just on the light side <laughs> so I, I think i think I wouldn't say it's very lucrative, but I think that it's a decent amount of money we would want to. So there's there's unfairness in the in the in yes, the, in the okay. exactly. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much, Gabby Affair right. of the City Sports Desk. Let me just say that the meeting happens tomorrow. Uh, we don't know whether or not uh, Co- Coach Chris Hilton will be sacked, but well, it's one of the items on the table. The City Sports team will be there to give us an update tomorrow. Agame Solomon sends a message from Tongo Balungu in Upper East, and he says, the big problem of our national team isn't the coach, but management of GFA. If a coach would be hired and fired any time, why can't management of GFA face him? They dictate who the coach should invite and play. He isn't independent. Koku from OEB says, um, I think Inkum is dodging the fact that GFA is to be blamed for the woes of the Black Stars. What is the development plan for Ghana football? The GFA itself is, uh, is clueless. In managing football. Daniel Akpalio from Sandema says, The problem of Ghana national team goes beyond the coach. The reality is that politicians are interfering with the work of the GFA and no one is bold to name and shame such politicians. Changing the coach is not a panacea to this problem. Let's face the reality and stop the blame games and pretense. George Gameli Awi from Pando says, The frequent change in coaches does not give um, great... Okay, has negative... 
um, impact on the players, just like how frequently we change teachers uh, in schools, and that's how, how much impact it has on students. I think you want to say we need to invest massively in our resources rather than foreigners. Bright Kwame from Afienya says, so a coach is not able to put a team together for the past nine months and GFA thinks a new one will do that in about four months before the AFCON starts. The FA is a problem. We keep sacking coaches but get the same results. I pity Ghana. Bran Nash from Garu says, the problem with our senior national team is not the coach, rather our politicians and the leadership of GFA. They are putting too much politics in selection of players. Finally, Jones Adubuayinla says, I support the sacking of the Black Stars coach. In fact, he has not added anything to the team since he took over. No directions. Send your message to 0549-986-996. This is Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Charlie, the transport business, dear, when it's nice, it's nice. But if your driver starts frustrating you, hey, sleepless night too. Ever since core fleet tracking was recommended to me, Adefi Bed, Mitumida, their service will let you know vehicle location in real time, including speeding, and you can remotely immobilize the vehicle. You will also get real-time fuel information on exact refill volumes and get alerts on fuel theft. Core fleet will also warn you if your drivers are driving dangerously and alert you on driver fatigue, driver on phone, and driver not wearing seatbelts. Visit www.corfleet.com for more information. That is korfleet.com or call 0532-116-711. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3 Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973 and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's do some more stories. The finance ministry has authorized the allocation of 4 million Ghana cities to clear the debt owed by the renal unit of the Kolebu Tichin Hospital. The outpatient department of the unit at Kolebu was closed in May 2023, resulting in the unfortunate death of 19 patients and significantly inconveniencing those reliant on dialysis services. While the facility has reopened, the health minister, Kwikwajuma Menu, has been updating parliament on the present circumstances. Mr. Speaker, the Kulebu Teacher Hospital, in consultation with the Minister of Health, has initiated discussions with FMC for review of the current contract for more flexible payment options and the more structured supply of consumables to avoid excessive delays and to ensure delivery of the outstanding 45 dialysis machines and auxiliary equipment to boost the service being rendered. So, Speaker, in the meantime, the RDU has been opened to the public since Monday, 6 November 2023, to add patients as directed by the Ministry. The MOH has since made a request to the Ministry of Finance to settle the total indebtedness for the 4 million Ghana cities. And the good news now is that the Minister for Finance has just approved the disbursement of this 4 million to support our patients in Kolebu. Menu is Minister for Health. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. Bafo Kojo Ahinkra is the president of the Renal Patients Association. Bafo, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The minister makes that announcement 4 million Ghana cities to be given to the unit 
to settle his debt so that it will be opened. It was supposed to have been opened from last week. Eventually, the opening happened on Monday. Does that sound like good news to you? Uh, yeah, it's a good news. It's a really good news, yes. The units uh, got open Monday. Uh, the patient, we needed to do our labs again because it's been five months. So they didn't know what was wrong with that. So all of us needed to do our labs again. So we took uh, Monday and Tuesday to do those labs. And then yesterday, the first batch of the patient went on the machine successfully. So uh, it's a welcoming news. We thank them very much for what they've done. I know you may not necessarily be privy, but 4 million cities, that's a huge, huge, huge debt on the renal unit. How has that debt been affecting the delivery of health care to patients who patronize it? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yes, uh, it's true. Uh, I'm aware there's that 4 million debt there. I'm very much aware of that. Uh, some of us, we are fortunate to be speaking to the Hollywood CEO, so it makes things a bit clearer to us, so we are much aware. And But the point is, all this boils down to that, the payment of the dialysis. Now, way back, about six, seven years back, people were not able to pay. So a philanthropist came in, where first guy came in, that he would pay the dialysis for Hollywood patients. So he was he was the one paying. So all that the patient does is that once you are called, it's your time, you are called. You just come in and do dialysis then you go so as to how the payment was being by we the patient we didn't know all that we knew that somebody was paying for us and i'm the man has paid i've been doing this for seven years seven years the first guy group of going to be i've been doing it for seven years so we it was later on we got to know the payment was not forthcoming the way it used to be that is what brought the delay in payment and, and some of the debt that they are owing and the closure of this thing has really affected us in such a way that we have lost 19 people of our our, our, our patients. Wow, that, that's really serious. But uh, and, and our condolences. Now, moving forward, um, how do you think this can be prevented? Uh, my brother, we don't know. Government have to come in. Government have to come in a big time. Because uh, once again, like I said, uh, the last time I was speaking to uh, someone, he made me understand that. Uh, the 380 that we are paying now, that has been the old price we've been paying for all these years. If it they continue, then the government have to subsidize, I think, almost 1 million Ghana cities every month. Government have to, and if they move it to 500 per session, then the government will be doing almost like 400 something every month as a subsidy. Now, the point is, can this be sustainable? Can the government be doing this every month for us? If it can, Hallelujah. But the point is, let's look at it this way. The, even the, eight, the 380, we, the patient, were not able to pay. It was somebody who was paying for us. So the whole point is that government have to look at it. If they say they are going to put it on the national health insurance, so be it. And they should work all the modalities so that maybe it can move to the health insurance. So that patients, patients will not suffer the way once it is closed, patients will die, this thing. The way forward, government have to step in. There are other places, other countries, maybe Ghana cannot compare itself to it. It's free dialysis. It's free dialysis. But the point is, even when you are rich as what, your money will get finished once you're on dialysis. Your money will get finished. So government will have to really look at it critically and expedite the move on it. If they'll put it on the health insurance or if they'll raise some funds, and they'll put it in the budget. Maybe quarterly, this will be given to the Rena unit. This be, I mean, some way, somehow, the way they can manage it, that will be the best for us because this thing is, I mean, something that nobody can sustain it. The 380, yesterday, 
they called, they called 10 people, 10 people to come for the dialysis. Out of this 10, only four came. Reason being that the rest say they don't have the three to come and do it. Because they are the first time, I don't know, they say they are not having a new negotiations with him. So we don't know whether he's going to continue paying. It's not, yeah, you're stopping. Yesterday, they called 10. Out of them, and only six came. Today, today they called uh, 10, the same 10 again, only five came. The rest of they don't have money to go. So government will have to step in and take it up. Does it mean then that the health insurance does not tackle anything right now? No. No. I hear uh, it does uh, for the acute, and there are one or two drugs, but it, it, it's, not, it's not practically on the ground. That is, let me put it that way. I hear the acute patients, they have it on the, um, the, the, the NIA. As to how it is, but practically it's not there. Now, once they bring you to Kolebu, you are diagnosed that you have kidney, you need to go on the machine. When I came in eight years back, you do a deposit of five million as at that time. Nowadays, I don't even know the deposit. So somehow, some way, I don't see practically on the ground. If it is, I don't see practically on the ground. Thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to us, and we wish you all the best, sir. Thank you, sir. That's Bafo Kojua Hinkra. He's the president of the Reno uh, Patients Association. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's go to the courts now, uh, but it also has a bearing on Parliament. The High Court in Accra has conducted a case involving a senior North Member of Parliament, James Jachi Kwesin, even though he was not in court today. Our court correspondent is Hansen Ajiman. He's joined us on the line. Hansen, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, Sander. Okay, so was he supposed to be in court and he called in sick or he was in traffic, did not make it in time? What, what, what was the issue? So he, he was supposed to be in court. And so our criminal system is such that for every person who has been held to court by virtue of Article 19.3, the trial ought to be done in your presence unless there are certain circumstances. And so for the first time um, on November 3, uh, that was last week, the court sat. The Jackie Christian was not in court. His lawyers were not also in court. The judge obviously was infuriated by their absence uh, from court. And this is in the context because the first prosecution's witness has been in the witness box for more than a year. Uh, he's been under cross-examination July, since July 2022 when his witness statement was adopted by the court. And so after the legal vacation and the case was set for hearing uh, on November 3, the judge thought that the defense will come in, uh, that justifications and his lawyers will come in, and close their cross-examination of the first witness. But they were not in court. So the judge on that day gave some orders. The orders were that she was adjourning to November 9. If one, Judge Kwesin refuses to come, she would rule for the case to continue in his absence. Two, if his lawyers are also absent, she will be forced to close the testimony of the first prosecution witness and ask prosecution to bring its, sec uh, its second witness. And three, if prosecution fails to bring its uh, next witness, it will ask for the other witness. And 
it fails to bring another witness, it will be forced that the court will be forced to close the case of prosecution because, in her view, the case has delayed for a long time. So, on today, what was expected that uh, James Jackie Quinson uh, would have come to court or he would have joined virtually by a link that had been made available to him. However, when his lawyers came to court today, he was not in their company, and also he did not join the virtual link. But his lawyers, uh, led by Chajitikata, decided to give an explanation to the court. They indicated that previously, uh, on October 13, they had requested for an in-camera session uh, or in-chamber session with the judge, where they explained to the judge that the accused was going to Canada for medical tests. They also explained that the case was previously adjourned to October 27. However, on October 27, the judge did not sit. They later got notice that an assistant state attorney had gone to take a return date of November 3. They disagreed with the day November 3 because Chachichikata was not available. As a result, they wrote to the court on October 13, asking that the court should rather sit on November 27. But they did not get any explanation from, uh, they did not get any response to this request to postpone the matter from November 3 to November 27. And so for them, they were not aware of the November 3 session for which the judge gave those orders. But in addition to that, their client is receive, is making is doing, is undertaking medical tests in Canada, for which he is expected to undergo requisite uh, treatment, which is expected to last for five months. They also indicated in court that they had instructions from their clients to produce a medical doctor based in Ghana testify to his medical situation, which Chachichikata described as serious, because that medical doctor was the last doctor to see him before he made this trip to Canada. But upon all these points made by the um, defense team led by Chachichikata, the judge, Justice Mary Yanzu, indicated that uh, she has no evidence before her that suggests that the accused person is undergoing medical treatment for which he cannot be available in person nor even join the virtual uh, the sitting virtually through a link. So based on that, the judge on grounds of Article 19, Clause 3B, decided to rule that the case be heard in the absence of the absent Lord Member of Parliament. Okay, uh, so the, the next agenda date will be when? The next agenda date will be November 15th. All right, so we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens next. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. Hansen Ajiman is our court correspondent. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's talk about the energy minister now, shall we? Dr. Matthew Pokuprempe says the significant challenges to assessing gas from the West African gas pipeline is partly to blame for recent power outage. The recent outages have sparked concerns over the resurgence of intermittent power supply, otherwise known as DUMSO. Addressing a press conference, Dr. Matthew Pokuprempe underscored government's unwavering commitment to keep the light on. 
IPPs in June. Yes, there was even a lot of radio discussions that heralded. Gekko says there was a short of, shortage of gas. In fact, there was a shortage of gas. But how long did that power cut even last? And the lights came back on. And I said here, I didn't hide, that there's only one Chibu that is linked to almost all our gas power plants. So if there's a shot, if it just so happens that an onshore receiving facility develops a fault and cannot transmit a lot of our power, that is why we are having increasingly bigger stretches of the country going off electricity when there's a power shortage. But that power shortage did not even last for 12 hours. It didn't even last for 12 hours. And we should understand. I cannot stand here and say that was the last one. And that doesn't make it do so. We all saw that even ECG announces that we would put off light here, we will put off light here, if we know a priori that this problem is going to develop. But when you don't know and it happens, you have to tell Ghanaians the truth. The Energy Minister further indicated that government is working with independent power producers to address the over $1 million debt of them. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTF. Let's talk about the Energy Minister now because well, yesterday was in Parliament. There was a whole conversation around uh, what happened in the southern part of the Volta River that resulted in flooding and displacement of people. Fabian Maulenu Kojo is a chairman of the Mepa Development Association in the Northern District and constituency of the Volta region. They have taken issue with the minister's address to parliament. Fabian, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Good evening, Omaro, and good evening to your cherished listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. You say that the minister did not capture some necessary facts uh, when he addressed the House, the people's representatives yesterday. What was that? First of all, starting from the simulation exercise. And of course, that's a key issue. And we telling the minister that all he was trying to suggest or tell the Parliament of Ghana and the rest of the world is not the truth. As community leaders, minister was, pro- minister was providing numbers that were involved in those simulation exercises. The question is, can he let the world know how many of the people were involved in those simulations. Let's even take it that one minister was telling the world is telling the truth. What has been the preparedness? But that is even not the case. And we have said this over and over and over. We think that we deserve some level of respect as a traditional area. In the midst of this trauma, we do not think that it is time to be arguing about something that is not the truth. We haven't been involved in any way. You heard our minister and other ministers, no, our, our MP and other MPs in those communities that have been affected, that they were not involved or informed. Probably the minister may be speaking to other jurisdictions, clearly not our case. But there are ministers who have been appointed as part of a task force to monitor the situation in Mepa. The president himself has been there. Clearly, the minister cannot be clueless about what's happening there because VRA, the CEO, we are told, has virtually uh, started living in this part of the country because of the challenges that are there. The VRA CEO could have advised the minister and several other of his lieutenants would have gathered information from the ground and shared the same with him. 
So basic, basic. Who and who in Mepa traditional area have been involved in this whole simulation? We are the hardest. I'm sure probably in their simulation exercise, assuming it was carried properly as they wanted the work to believe, they would have identified the work probably would have been the hardest hit. Who and who were involved? Let's just put the names out. We are debunking this. It's as simple as that, Omaru. We don't want to be, you see, we are quite emotional about this. And I said that given that they did what they were trying to make everybody and they are making everyone to believe, even without admitting, what has been the preparedness. Assuming what they said is even true. What preparedness have been put in place that, you know, likely event that what we have suffered or are suffering happened? Absolutely nothing. So it is time for the minister, if, he can, if, if the state cannot even apologize for any failure, we do not think that this is the best way to dignify us for the suffering we are going through. It's quite painful and quite emotional. And we think that the least we can do is to put the truth out there for the world to know that that isn't the case. Whatever they have carried out, whatever exercise, probably it is within, probably within their internal controls that has nothing to do with us as a community. As the chairman of the Human Association, this um, institution has been set up by our great grandparents traditional leaders as far back in the early 50s because they properly understood what development is from day one under their leadership. And we work closely with the traditional council. When it comes to development and social issues, no, when people's property are supposed to be washed away, to be destroyed, social life will be lost, etc. We come in handy, handling those spaces. There's no way we'll be properly informed and involved and will be in a situation like this and will be behaving and pretending. No. Mm. The records must speak for the state institutions, ministers, and state actors. Very well. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's uh, Fabian Maulenu Kojo. He's chairman of the MEFA Development Association. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan. Make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Adjoa Tinkrama Domina. The details now. City Business News has learned that City, the Cocoa Board rather, is planning to meet the Finance Committee of Parliament tomorrow, November 10, to table before it a proposal for the 2023 Cocoa Syndicated Loan for the current season. The following report has the rest of the details. Cocoa Board is expecting Parliament to approve an 800 million cocoa syndicated loan to be sourced from international bank partners. Information CNR Business has gathered suggests that the syndication process is near completion, contrary to claims that the loan has dragged because Cocoa Board is cash-strapped to reach an agreement. This comes on the back of widespread reports suggesting that Cocoa Board has borrowed an amount of $200 million from cocoa traders to fund activities for the 
2023-2024 cocoa season. CNR Business understands that although this amount has been secured, it is just a pre-financing arrangement with license-buying companies, an arrangement which has always existed but has now been formalized as Cocoa Board works on concluding processes for the cocoa syndicated loan. The move is also part of steps by Cocoa Board to minimize its over-reliance on credit facility from financial institutions and work with cocoa traders as partners in the sector. Even before Cocoa Board meets the Finance Committee of Parliament to present its agreement, the minority side on the Food, Agriculture and Cocoa Affairs Committee in Parliament has hinted that Cocoa Board would have to show enough proof of proper utilization of the 1.13 billion US dollars syndicated loan approved last year before that of this year could be granted. That was a business desk report by Nilati Lati. Now, the African Center for Economic Transformation, ACET, is making a strong case for the government to be consistent with policies that will spur economic growth. According to the center, there exists multiplicity in some policies which do not bolster the resilience of the private sector. Here's Executive Vice President of the African Center for Economic Transformation, Mavis Owusu Jimfi. All our policies and regulations, most of them are gender neutral, but we also know that we don't live in a gender neutral society. So if we develop gender neutral policies, it means that the men continue to benefit, but the women are running to catch up. And you can't build and diversify your economy and leave 50% of your population behind, especially if the statistics say that that 50% holds a large chunk of your economy. So that's the findings. And some of the recommendations simplify and streamline the regulatory framework and most importantly, mitigate duplication. There is too much duplication in policy across line ministries and agencies, and that is costing Ghana a lot. So elimination of duplication of efforts from our analysis is showing that actually you could do a lot and make a lot of progress overnight. That's the first thing. The second one, I think, ensure genuine consultation with the private sector. There is a real appetite for the private sector to work with the government to drive change. But there's a little bit of cynicism. That was presidential. That was rather the executive vice president of African Center for Economic Transformation, Mavis Owusu Jima. Now, speakers at the second edition of the Africa Entrepreneurship Accelerator Summit have identified the need to leverage social capital as a significant strategy to drive the growth of business startups. According to the speakers, the principal hurdle which hampers startups is lack of funding, a situation denoted discourages young people from pursuing their dreams to grow their startups. One of the speakers, who is also an entrepreneur and presidential advisor on gender and development, Angela Asante urged the youth to combine the approach of getting monetary capital and harnessing other resources, including networking, to scale up their small and medium enterprises. In terms of startups, um, there are a number of different elements that you need to obviously make your startup, um, first of all, start to grow and move into a medium or um, small-scale business, small, small or medium-scale business, I should say. And when we talk about social capital, we're not just talking about financial capital. We're talking about um, uh, the resources, 
um, in terms of human capital, skill sets, um, an enabling environment, um, you know, these are all forms of social capital that you need to be able to harness um, and sometimes even create in order for your, 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 your small business or your business in general to grow. So it's very, very important that, um, um, but as you know, the, the one area that people talk about most is monetary or financial capital. And, you know, we, we as a nation, um, and, and we've seen this done with, with the president in various initiatives where he's looked at supporting SMEs, especially female-owned SMEs. He had presidential advisor on gender and development, Angela Asante. Plans are far advanced for the adoption of an insolvency and restructuring bill to help distressed businesses. This, the Ghana Association of Restructuring and Insolvency Advisors, Garia says, has already been introduced in Parliament and also to rescue struggling state-owned enterprises. The overarching aim is to create a congenial operational environment for struggling businesses and also to quicken the path to recovery. Now, even before it is passed, Garia is hopeful the bill will bolster business resilience and confidence. He is president of Garia Felix Addo speaking at a business rescue seminar as part of the 2023 Garia Week in Accra. Currently, we are a non-for-profit professional association. Under the bill, Garia will be standalone, very similar to the Institute of Chartered Accountants, Institute of Bankers and the like. We have our governing board. We have structures which will tell us how we operate, how we do things. But most critically, we have objectives. And the objectives will tell us that we are supposed to help companies to turn themselves around when they are distressed. In the, in the current bill, we're supposed to also assist state-owned enterprises which are currently distressed. The whole purpose is that at the end of the day, companies will be fit for purpose. Many of our companies are like working zombies. Because we are distressed, sometimes we don't even realize that we are distressed. We come to work, we produce whatever we're supposed to produce, and then move on. Okay? But at the end of the day, are we optimizing that space? Are we enhancing the opportunities, capturing the opportunities available for our shareholders, our uh, stakeholder group, and all? And that's where Gary comes in. So, God willing, uh, soon we'll be able to have a, a chartered institute of insolvency practitioners and restructuring. Felix Addo is president of the Ghana Association of Restructuring and Insolvency Advisors, Garia. Before we go, both private firms and state-owned enterprises are being encouraged to tap into the opportunities to be offered by the bill for the best possible solutions in business restructuring. Adelaide Bene Prempe is a member of Garia and the managing partner of B&P Associates. Uh, based on the legal framework that now persists, we have uh, a new breed of professionals known as the insolvency practitioners. And what the insolvency practitioners are meant to do are uh, to champion the cause of distressed companies, uh, to help them find mechanisms, both short-term and long-term, in salvaging uh, their businesses. And therefore, it is absolutely critical uh, for seminars of this nature, for insolvency practitioners to come together, to engage with other professionals, but very particularly and very importantly, uh, to be abreast with the trends in debt restructuring and business rescue, uh, bearing in mind that we'll be at the forefront of this process to take that message out there that there is help at hand and we're able to support. And therefore, we ourselves need to be well-equipped 
so that we promote legal certainty, uh, promote uh, business, and very importantly, ensure that all the rights and interests of the relevant stakeholders um, are met. Adelaide Beneprempe is a member of Garia and the managing partner of B&P Associates. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Ajua Tinkrama Domna. Thank you for listening. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Omaru Sandamaru. Tonight on Point Blank, we are going back to Parliament. The Minister for Health, Kukwa Jimamenu, MP for Doma West, has been addressing the House on how he's managing the health sector, particularly the renal unit at the Kolibu Teaching Hospital. He also took questions from MPs and gave some answers. Let's listen to the Minister. Just because the RDU currently operates from two main locations in the hospital, and provides both inpatient and outpatient services to patients at the hospital. One, the medical blood dialysis unit, which has a capacity of 22 machines, but currently operates with one, being used to dialyze hepatitis B positive patients. There are challenges with the water treatment system, and the machine itself needs to be repaired at least twice a week. So, Speaker, the satellite unit, called the cabin, currently has 10 functional Fresimus 5008S hemodialysis machines. This is currently deemed, this is currently the main center for inpatient emergency cases and for outpatient dialysis as well. So, Speaker, on the average, the unit caters for between 260 to 300 patients and at full capacity undertakes about 2,000 dialysis sessions per month, operating 24 hours. The facility has never had the occasion to turn away any patient. So, Speaker, the Kolebu Teaching Hospital has had a 10-year contract with Fraser News Medical Care South Africa Limited, FMC, to provide dialysis machines and consumables to the hospital. Over the 10-year period, the company is to provide Kolebu with a total of 60 hemodialysis machines of two different specifications, other ancillary equipment and technical equipment for servicing of equipment. So, Speaker, it must be noted that FMC is a global leader in the provision of dialysis equipment and high-quality consumables. It is important to use products of the highest quality to minimize complications to our vulnerable patients. Kolebu, in return, is obliged to pay for hemodialysis consumables worth a total of 11,865,000 euro over the 10-year period for the equipment and services supplied by FMC. The main revenue stream for the RDU has been proceeds from the payments of hemodialysis sessions. Currently, every patient is on the subsidized rate of 380 cities per session. So, Speaker, over the past five years, a company in Ghana we call the First Sky Group of Companies has graciously committed to pay 1 million Ghana cities every quarter to enable patients who cannot afford life-saving maintenance hemodialysis to have two sessions of dialysis a week for free. 
Currently, there are 230 patients on the free dialysis program. This is the ceiling on total number of beneficiaries specified by First Sky Group of companies. This constitutes over 80% of the patients receiving treatment at the RENA unit and accounts for over 80% of the RENA unit's revenue. Mr. Speaker, for the past two years, payment schedule, the payment schedule initially agreed on with First Sky Group of companies has been fraught with delays. Due to these delays, the RDU continues to accrue exchange rate losses, which has made it difficult for, R for the RDU to service the monthly payments to the partner. Mr. Speaker, let me use this opportunity to thank once again the first Sky Group of companies for this massive philanthropic gesture, which has supported Kolebu and patients for the last six years. Mr. Speaker, in view of these challenges, Kolebu has accrued a total debt of a little over 4 million uh, Ghana cities to its partner. Furthermore, it remains a fact that the current charge of 380 cities for dialysis is insufficient to enable the RDU generate enough revenue to fulfill its full obligations under the contract with FMC, especially as it does not have a hedged exchange rate per annum regime. This has compromised the ability of the RDU to raise the funds required to pay for consumer votes procured from FMC promptly. So, speak again, due to the high incidence of patients requiring dialysis, the total cost of care keeps rising, adding to the accumulation of debt. So, speaker, it must be noted that current patients, currently, patients on dialysis are not on the National Health Insurance Scheme. Mr. Speaker, the Kulebu Teaching Hospital, in consultation with the Minister of Health, has initiated discussions with FMC for review of the current contract for more flexible payment options and the more structured supply of consumables to avoid excessive delays and to ensure delivery of the outstanding 45 dialysis machines and auxiliary equipment to boost the service being rendered. Mr. Speaker, in the meantime, the RDU has been opened to the public since Monday, 6 November 2023, to add patients as directed by the Ministry. The MOH has since made a request to the Ministry of Finance to settle the total indebtedness of the 4 million Ghana cities. And the good news now is that the Minister for Finance has just approved the disbursement of this 4 million to support our patients in Kolebu. Way forward. To forestall the recurrence of this unfortunate situation, the Ministry, in collaboration with Kolebu and the Minister of Finance, is considering one of the following options. The possible inclusion of dialysis on the National Health Insurance Benefit Package, the grant of subsidies based on proposal received from Kolebu, and the possible review of the tariffs to ensure sustainability of the services. And Mr. Speaker, it may be interesting to note that the private health facilities charge between 800 and 1,300 Ghana cities for just a session of dialysis. The decision on the options enumerated above, Mr. Speaker, will be announced as soon as practicable. Mr. Speaker, as part of our non-communicable diseases roadmap, the ministry and its agencies will continue to raise awareness 
for prevention and early detection to reduce renal disease and minimize the burden on the renal units in the health sector. When this is realized, the total cost of care and the need for dialysis will be brought to the barest minimum. Mr. Speaker, government has invested with the support of Parliament by approving facilities for us in the construction of a 100-bed ultramodern urology and nephrology center of excellence at the Kolebu Teaching Hospital, which will be commissioned by the end of the first quarter next year, 2024. This is aimed at facilitating the provision of kidney transplantation services, among others. Mr. Speaker, this will further reduce the dialysis burden on the nation and the need for Ghanaians to travel abroad for these services. A local team has been trained to provide these services, I mean transplantation services, at reduced cost and have already undertaken the first few kidney transplantations successfully in country by our Ghanaian doctors. Mr. Speaker, I believe this is the beginning of the government's vision of making Ghana a hub for medical tourism. Mr. Speaker, I believe there is hope ahead of all of us Ghanaians. Going through the statement and making critical analysis of it without any intention to provoke debate, what I find to see is hope for patients with renal failures, especially those who need dialysis at the Kolebu Teaching Hospital, and also for patients in general in this country. Mr. Speaker, what the minister has read to us is more of interventions by philanthropists and companies who have done their bit to contribute to saving lives of renal patients in this country. Mr. Speaker, the problem at Kolebu Teaching Hospital I see it as leadership failure. I see it as government not being responsible for the health of the people of this country. Mr. Speaker, all I'm saying is that there's no priority for the health of the people of this country. Mr. Speaker, go through the statement Apart from what the minister is proposing now in terms of policy, we haven't seen government intervention in this instance, apart from what FMC that has donated dialysis machines to Kolebu and the first guy group that has taken it up to offer free um, services for renal patients. Before now, I don't see or 
the minister has not demonstrated or shown us what government has done so far until now. We cannot have a situation where the whole government comes in only when there's crisis. Mr. Speaker, for every patient that has been on dialysis, there are about nine more who are dying because they don't even have the capacity to get near a dialysis machine. Mr. Speaker, the other reason why, as I thank the minister, but I don't see hope in the statement is that, you see, before this house, we should be seeing a deliberate policy that moves beyond Kolebu and gives hope to the nation and other Rina clients that look, learning from what is happening in Kolebu, this is the direction we have to prevent people from developing renal failures up to chronic renal failure and ensuring that we see deliberate policy to provide enough dialysis machines for the other hospitals in this country that I don't see here, apart from the political story. So are we going to come back here tomorrow when Confanoche also comes to the same problem? Or my regional hospital, Enwa, also faces similar challenges. Where is the policy that gives us hope that if you develop chronic renal failure, that you need such expensive treatment as being put on dialysis, there's hope. All of us are at risk if we don't take our lives seriously. If government doesn't tackle the factors that lead people to develop chronic renal failure. Mr. Speaker, now to Kolebu, let us face the issue critically and find remedies. Mr. Speaker, Kolebu, no matter the reasons they give, does not have the power to wake up one day and issue notices without any consultation and say that we are stopping such a critical care for patients. Without regards to parliament. So what did the Ministry of Health do? And that's what I mean that by leadership failure. Because Kolebu is not an isolated facility. They work under the Ministry of Health. So the very first day the notice came was the very first day we expected leadership for government and for the ministry to say that no, you cannot do that because you don't have the power to do that on your own. As we speak, about 19 people, as the report comes, have perished because they were denied the right, the fundamental right to having quality. Did you, did you say Kolebu doesn't have the power? 
did what Palme I'm not, is that to did Palme not make Kulebu independent? Mr. Speaker, this house and they close because they gave them a prescribed fee. And what I mean is that to vary from what was given, the power that was given to charge from this house, they needed to come back and get the authority to carry upwards, not to sit in Kolebu and announce that we are moving from 380 to about 700. Well, even the 380, patients cannot afford the 380. Is it the, the, the crime or the making of poor patients that the economic circumstances of this country is high and that people cannot even afford basic treatment? Is it their fault? It is the ultimate responsibility of every government to keep your people healthy. And if government cannot do that, they should not, I mean, give high costs to clients. So we want to see government's intervention. If First Sky Group can mobilize funds to treat such clients free, a company like FMC can buy or come to an agreement to provide about 60 dialysis machines. How many, how many dialysis machines has the government provided? That you don't find it here in the minister's statement. How many dialysis machines have they sent to Kolebu? Have they sent to Konfanoche? Have they sent to uh, Cape Coast Hope and to my regional hospital in what? How many? We need to see the government efforts zero. in the minister's is zero. And that's what I mean by the fact that there is no hope in this statement. It's, it's English put together and accounted. You don't see it leading to a policy direction that will address this in this country lastly. Mr. Speaker, what we need is a national dialogue that let all of us come together and discuss the problem that our renal patients, the condition that all of us are at risk, what do we do? One, to prevent it. Why? We, we have been told by the medical doctors and the scientists that there are factors, like LMC, leading to renal failures. We need to tackle that, and government has to take the, the lead. Where do we get funding? Because one of the fundamental problems is funding. What should we do as a country? Government has to provide direction, and government has to provide answers. Mr. Speaker, if this government is now, Mr. Speaker, you, you look at the first, the first, uh, I mean, the last page, the last paragraph. Mr. Speaker, this is the beginning of government's vision of making Ghana a hub of medical tourism. After people have perished, many more are dying. You are now saying this is the beginning of government vision. Can you come before me? 
Since 2017, you are now telling us this is the beginning of government vision. After people have died. If you have no vision, copy the vision of His Excellency John Dramani Mahama. Because he was addressing the healthcare problems with three-prong approach. Infrastructure, human resource, and equipment. You have come, your priority is infrastructure. We don't see the efforts that government is doing to address this fundamental problem. That's just one condition, renal failure. And people are dying because government does not see it as a provide priority to provide them from dying. What about the other conditions, the cancers and whatever? Because if one condition is difficult to manage, what about the other conditions? So, Mr. Speaker, let us get our priorities right. Let the story not be limited to only Kolebu, but let us see the Kolebu story helping us to have a policy that holistically address the issues of renal care in this country. So you had reactions from the floor of parliament, MPs reacting and asking questions of the Minister of Health, Kukwajima Menu, who appeared to make a statement and also take questions from MPs. And the focus has been primarily on the renal unit of the Kolibu Teaching Hospital. Well, that'll be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadu. I, I was produced tonight by Governor Wilson and Beverly London, as well as Sami Wiafi, with technical support from Edwin not with from Daniel Kwashi and uh, Daniel Anyoriga uh, supporting us with the new media side of things. Eyewitness News returns tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Up next is Sister Sister with Chris Carter. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973. City 97.3 Accra